streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be 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 streaming live soon. morning from Rick Bonfin Ministries. We're glad, I'm Betty McKinney and I'm glad you've joined us this morning. Um, hope you're doing well, holding up during these crazy times and drawing closer to the Lord as His coming is drawing closer to us every day. Amen. Um, last week, if you didn't see her, I'm not sure which day it was, John, I think it was last week, when Rick spoke about the struggle of Pilate. Yeah, it was. It was last week. If you didn't see that, I really urge you to go on to louderrain.com, onto our website, and, and watch that teaching. Rick gave a, a teaching out of um, John 18, spilling over a little bit into 19, where I'll be today, talking about the struggle that Pilate went through. And I just saw things in there as he taught that that I'd never seen before. How much, for example, Pontius Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. But he was so intimidated by the mob, the Jews. <clears throat> he was the Roman governor. He represented power, brutality, harshness. But he was convicted he did not want to put Jesus to death. And even his wife came into the picture. Someone here, we, I've got some readers here because I have scriptures. Who has Matthew 27, 17 through 20? You have that, Randall? Randall Cup's with us this weekend, or this week. Oh, Randall. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have mm -hmm. suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Yeah. So his wife comes to him, don't have anything to do with this man. Get your hands off of this situation. Some, some, um, something from God had spoken to her in a dream. But he just continues to struggle within himself what to do, what to do. And says in verse 38 of chapter 18, Pilate said to him, what is truth? That's a question a lot of people are asking these days, aren't they? 
struggling between all the many voices and all the many pressures to do this, do that, go this way, go that way, align yourself this way, align yourself that way. What is truth? But Pilate said repeatedly, I find no guilt in him. And as Rick pointed out, he went in and out five times, out to the crowd and then back into the praetorium, which I can picture this because when we go to Israel, the praetorium is right there by the Jaffa Gate where we usually stay, like Matt by our Hotel Gloria. It's right there. That, that was the um, Palace of Herod. That's where Pilate would stay when he came. And um, he would go in and out of that building. You can just picture that. So as Rick pointed out, caution becomes fear. <laughs> you might want to be cautious, cautious about how to handle situations, but then you become so tossed and turned that it turns into fear, paralyzing fear. And here is Pilate with the mob, the Jews, uh, the pressures of Rome <coughs> to execute his position and then his own conscience. And when you go into chapter 18, verse 8, it says, when Pilate heard this statement, he was the more afraid. So you just see his fear growing and growing and growing. So that's where we're going to pick up actually in John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus. This is after all this back and forth, back and forth. We see what he just decides to do. And he scourged him. Um, Over in the parallel passage of Mark 16, it says, uh, sorry, Mark 15, Mark 15, verse 15. And wishing to satisfy the multitude, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. So that makes it very clear, wishing to satisfy the multitude. Um, I think King James says, to content the people. So Pilate was a pleaser of man, wasn't he? He didn't hold to his, in the end he couldn't hold to his own convictions. He was unable, even as a Roman governor, to say, I'm in charge here, this is the right thing to do. He couldn't hold to his own convictions. He allowed himself to be carried by anger, the hatred by, of culture. So we, we pray that God had mercy on him because he tried to spare the Lord. It seems barbaric. You know, we read this and it seems, oh gosh, that was the first century. That was long ago. A pagan, brutal culture of Rome. But I submit to you, that many are scourging the Lord of glory today. Many are casting about, trying to find out what's right, and instead of listening to their own conscience, or I would say the Holy Spirit, giving them revelation of who Jesus is and what we must do with Jesus, they are succumbing to culture and to the anger and the hatred and the pressure. We know a pastor's wife from a city nearby who's been writing blogs saying, God's a woman, the Bible's not the word of God, Jesus was only a man, he was not the son of God or Savior or Lord. Um, just, just, ca- just so casually putting out on social media that a judgment that Jesus is not who he says he is, that the word is not the truth, declaring boldly, even militantly, 
that what Jesus says about himself is false. Accusing him as a false king, just as the Jews were doing. So we're not so far from this pagan, brutal culture of Rome. In our day, the same thing is going on. People are scourging, judging, mocking the Lord of glory. Amen? (coughs) Okay, so going on a little bit here in um, John chapter 19. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him blows in the face, mocking, accusing him as a false king. But as we've said over and over in our recent months of teaching, everything Jesus did was undergirded with prophecy. And he was fulfilling something prophetic here. Even the crown that they put on him to mock him, (laughs) it it was not, for, for them it was mocking. But prophetically, a crown is a statement of victorious ministry. And he took that crown to say, yes, indeed, I am victorious. I am your victorious king. Let's, let's read. Just There's lots of places in Scripture that talks about crowns. But just to sort of gird up my point biblically, we've got James 1.12. I think you might have that, Randall. And then we have Revelation 2.10 and 1 Peter 5.1 and 4. So James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Okay, so that is the crown of crown of life. life. And that's for one who perseveres under trial. Certainly, Jesus is our example of that, isn't he? So he wore that crown, the one who perseveres under trial. What about Revelation 2.10? Revelation 2.10 states, For none of those things which you shall suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. The crown of life. Okay. So that also has to do with suffering and persevering, that the crown of life is for those. Um, what about First Peter 5, 1-4? through 4? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also were share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So that's called the crown of glory. And that's for the one who is a good shepherd. Was Jesus our good shepherd? (laughs) So here, prophetically, he is wearing the crown of glory. Though it was meant to be a crown to mock him, he's wearing the crown of glory as our good shepherd. And finally, Revelation 4, 10 and 11. I think Frankie has that one. That's right. Um, Revelation 4, 10, and 11 states, 
the four and twenty elders fall down before him who sat on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever and casting their crowns before the throne saying you are worthy o lord to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and for your pleasure they were created amen so the point of crowns is not that we wear a crown <laughs> but that it gives all glory to god the victor's crown is given when the ministry is accomplished and god gets the glory so i at this point god has already gotten the glory the victory has been accomplished jesus is um he is in the perfect will of god he is fulfilling all that has been prophesied about him and he's already won the victory. He's made up his mind to submit to the Father and go through with it. So he's already in a place of victory. And he's already in a place of giving glory to God. Um, when Rick and I were talking about this the other day, he said, you know, there's, there's sort of a biblical principle behind this of others who God honored so much that he said, you have, you have triumphed. You've had the victory. One of them was Elijah. He didn't even have to go through death. God just caught him up and brought him to glory. Let's, let's read that in 2 Kings 2. I think Cindy has that, 9 through 14. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken up from you it will be yours otherwise not as they were walking along and talking together suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them and elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind elisha saw this and cried out my father my father the chariots and horsemen of israel and elisha saw him no more then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Ooh, cool, huh? He saw him go up. He got the mantle. Elijah dropped his clothes as he left, and he got the double portion. Elijah so pleased God that he was taken up. It was the same with Moses. God took the body of Moses. And who were the two who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. So they were glorified. So this is, this is victory, right? This is victory, a ministry. Uh, when a ministry is accomplished, a statement of victorious ministry. Elijah had that. Moses had that. And Jesus is already in a place of that, even though he hasn't yet gone to the cross. He's wearing the, the victor's crown. <clears throat> he has completely submitted to his father. He is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Likewise, they put on him a purple robe, which was only worn by royalty, very rare in those days, declaring that he is the king. So, I'm sorry, folks. People can mock Jesus all they want. They can write blogs. They can say he's a false king. But we know who he is. He knows who he is. And you cannot remove from him who he is. 
We can, <laughs> no one can do that to you. Do not let that cause you dismay in these days that people are mocking the king of glory and trying to take his majesty, his deity. This blog that I was referring to said he's not the son of God, he was just a man. Well, that will not, cannot take his deity away from me. I know him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So do not be dismayed when you're hearing all of this stuff. Oh, the church has, has just diminished Jesus. You cannot j- diminish Jesus. <clears throat> he is who he is. Um, amen. Um, I read this frequently. It seems like this is like my go-to verse oftentimes in teaching, but it just I'm always pulled to this passage in Philippians 2. I won't read the whole thing. I won't read the whole thing, but just verses 8 through 11. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, nothing can change this. People can say, blog, social media, all day long, the opposite. Nothing can change this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Praise God. <clears throat> um, so we read that, that in verse 3, They began to come up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him blows in the face. They were hitting him either either with open palms or with fists. Uh, I think the King James says they smote him in in the face. So we each need to decide in these days, will you bow your knee? Will you confess that Jesus is Lord and King? Or will you accuse him as a false king and therefore deliver a blow to his face. I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? It's a slap in the face of God to say, no, you are not king. No, you are not Lord. It is a slap in the face of God. And there's really no middle ground. We can't make this nice. <laughs> it, it's a violent, the kingdom is taken, is what, what is it? Say, help me say it. The kingdom is taken by force. And violent men suffer force. It is taken by force. Just as they used force against Jesus, we also have to have a certain amount of force to say, no, I won't submit to that. I will, I will stand with Jesus even if to the death. <laughs> and many people around the world are doing that as we speak. There are more martyrs today in the world than there ever have been in the history of Christendom. There are more people being put to death in prison. They're amping it up in China like crazy. <laughs> and of course in the Middle East. So people are having to decide to stand boldly, and our time in America is finally coming. We've been, we've had it soft, but it's finally coming. So get ready. All right, verse four and five. And Pilate came out again, <laughs> as we said, back and forth, back and forth. Even after he'd made this decision, he's still just struggling with himself. <clears throat> And said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He's trying to absolve himself. Look, okay, you guys are doing this. I'm letting you do it. But 
you know, later we see in the other passage, he actually went and washed his hands, didn't he? As a symbol of saying, I, I don't want this man's blood on me. He's just so tormented to not have to be responsible for what is taking place. Jesus, therefore, came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Let us, Matt, behold the man. We're going to show a clip from, you remember Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion? As they scourged him, and they did all this to him that we just read, The Passion depicted what that might have looked like. So we're going to show this. Yeah, right about there. Okay. That is just a depiction. But it is a well-done depiction of the Lord of glory, your Savior. And it gets worse if we were to go on. We'll spare you this morning. It gets much worse. Finally, verse 6, When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Once more, he says that. So he's now going from scourging, what we just saw. Now he's about to go outside the city gates to be crucified. But you know, he began to shed his blood even before that which we just saw depicted. He began to shed his blood in the garden as he spent the night. And those of you that have heard me teach on the blood, you know I've I've told you this many times. He's in the garden all night crying out to his father, is there any other way? Do I have to drink of this cup? And scripture says that he agonized with that decision to such a degree that blood came out of his pores. No one has ever agonized with such a decision. Um, Gethsemane is called, it's actually the word means oil press. He was pressed like the heavy stones that press the olives to bring out the olive oil. He was crushed. He was crushed in the garden till, till blood began to come out of his pores. That's where he began to shed his blood for you. Then they scourged him, as we saw depicted in the movie. Some scripture says that they pulled out his beard. So blood's rolling out of his face. They were hitting him in the face. We just read that, smacking him in the face. So by this time, as Pilate said, take him away and crucify him, he had already lost so much blood. That's why he was too weak to carry the cross. And they had to get Joseph of Arimathea to carry it. Um. Cyrus of Cyrene, right? Cyrus of Cyrene. Joseph had the tomb. Um, So finally, he's nailed to the cross where he finally sheds the rest of his his blood. It is the blood that saves us and only the precious blood of Jesus. 
And that is why he's the victor, and that's why he's wearing this crown, saying, my blood is going to redeem this cursed earth and all of God's people back to what God wanted in the first place. It's going to buy back from the devil. What a victory to be able to take all that Satan has done to bring the curse and to to, um, send God's beloved family into hell and to buy us back to pay the price. What a victory. He did this in total victory, folks, not in defeat. Hebrews 9 Hebrews 9:11 But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves but through his own blood he entered the holy place all of those butcherings of of goats and calves and cattle All of that had only been symbolic, pointing to the blood that would redeem us and buy us back. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hmm. Jesus says he was our high priest here, right? He was standing as a mediator between us and God because we could not save ourselves. We could not extract ourselves from Satan's clutches. But as our great high priest, he was able to reach down and bring us out of our death sentence into life. And he did not go through this humiliation that we just read about and that we just watched a little picture of because he was a good man, folks. He did not go through this agony and brutality because he was the leader of a follow-worthy movement. Mm, No. He is the king of glory, God's only begotten son, our great high priest, the king of kings and lord of lords, And he became the sacrifice lamb who would take away, not just cover, but take away the sin of the world. His blood was the highest price ever paid for anything ever in the universe. God offered everything he had in the life of his son for us. How could we mock him? How could we diminish this amazing love? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Cindy has that, and then we're going to wrap up. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's right. He became everything that we are, that we might become and have everything he is. So the question today then, friends, is what are you going to do with Jesus today? We've seen Pilate struggling what to do with the man. Finally, he said, behold the man. I don't want anything to do with this. You do with him as you need to. Pilate struggled what to do with this man. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Is he merely a historical figure? Was he merely a good man who showed us a good way to live? 
was the one of many ways to heaven. Um, a philosophy, a creed, the founder of a good religion? Or is he the king of glory? The one and only king of glory. And the lamb of God who is able by his atoning death and his suffering to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. Not just forgive you and say it's okay. Not just to cover it, but to absolutely Say, your sins are completely gone. He took them all on himself and bore the weight of them. In his body, it says in Peter, he bore it in his body. He felt the weight of your sin. He bore the wrath of God against your sin in his body. So you never have to taste of the wrath of God. And then he cleansed you of, if you believe in this, if you receive it, he cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And he said, to impart to you his own righteousness. Can you get any more righteous than that if you have received the righteousness of God? So I invite you today, if you've been struggling with all these different voices and people trying to minimize Jesus and take a stand that's a little more middle of the line so that everybody can sort of get along, I invite you to renew, if you need to, your commitment to the King of Glory, to receive the King of Glory into your life, to make a conscious decision that Pilate wasn't able to, to bow before him. Pilate should have been kneeling before him, shouldn't he? He should have been kneeling before him and confessing, I might be a governor appointed by Rome, but you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. He wasn't able to do that, but you are today. So I invite you to renew your commitment to him, receive the king of glory into your life without without hesitation. Bow before him, confess your sin, commit your whole life into his hands. Don't accuse and scourge and re-crucify Jesus. The king of glory is a false king. Receive him today as your king. He loves you. And he wants you to be part of his family forever and ever in his kingdom when he comes, which is coming soon. Thank you, Lord. God bless you today. Yeah. Mm-hmm.